Um, okay, so let's get started. So I want you to um, I want you to remember um, a few a couple of years ago uh, there was a massive container ship called Ever Given that uh, got stuck in the Suez. Uh, canal. There it is. It's, um, that's a, a satellite image from the International Space Station. Um, and it was, uh, from what I've been told or what I remember, there was uh, some powerful winds that day and it actually grounded the ship. And um, it, massive ship. I don't know if it looks like that big on that picture. We're looking at a ship that is a quarter of a mile long. Okay, just Picture that for a moment. A quarter, 1,300 feet. It's like four soccer fields, okay, if you put them, if you line them up. And um, because it blocked this, the Suez Canal, it, it, that's one of the most vital shipping lanes in the world. So 100 sheep north, ships uh, north and south could not get through. And um, in fact, an insurance company estimated that um, the incident was costing the global trade market about $10 billion a week because all those ships that could not get through, they had to go all the way to South Africa, around, and of course that, that's a lot of money and time and fuel. And uh, the reason why I show you that picture is because I want us to just kind of stop and think for a moment. As we begin the service today, I just want you to reflect on this one question. Are there things in your life that could be hidden in someone Else from seeing the goodness of God. Let me let me ask the same question another time. Okay, are, are there are there some things in your life that just like are blocking other people from seeing the goodness of God? The way that you live your life, okay, impacts people's perception of God's goodness. The way you live your life impacts the credibility of the gospel. So, today, title of the message is The Lost Art of Persuasion. The Lost Art of Persuasion. I wanted to call it The Lost Art of Argument, but I felt like that was a little bit negative. So, The Lost Art of Persuasion. Uh, I believe that one of those things that blocks people from seeing who God really is, is our the way we communicate with people when... We don't, when they don't agree with us or we don't agree with them. The way that we communicate, the way that we disagree, the way that we engage with those people who don't believe what they believe often be a roadblock to them seeing the goodness of God. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Um, this is the last of Paul's letter. And uh, he's writing to his student, to Timothy. He's writing from a prison, um, prison cell. He's awaiting execution. So this Paul, um, you know, these are his last words to Timothy, okay? I want you to pay attention because to me, it's, it's, it's my, it blows my mind that something could be written so many years ago and applied to us such a powerful way today and so here's what paul tells young timothy okay second timothy chapter 2 verse 23 reading from the new living translation he says again i say don't get involved in foolish ignorant and help me out with that next word arguments have you ever gotten involved in a foolish argument raise your hand all over the room 
All right, thank you very much. I appreciate your honesty. There are times when I get involved in conversations that are so draining, and I leave that conversation. I always ask myself, Alex, what did you this? What did you just do? Have you ever said that? You engage a person, and you know the first time when it happens, not that big of a deal, but when it's like the third, fourth time, you're like, I did it again. I, what's going on with me? You know, what's going on? And so I love that Paul says, don't do it. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fight. He says, verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Now, I read that and I thought, man, I could have done away, like, I like the verse, I like two-thirds of the verse, but the, the last two words, not so sure, okay? You know, why do I have to be patient with difficult people, right? But anyway, it's God's word, and so we got to read it, right? Verse 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Verse 26, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants let's pray father god i just ask that for the next few minutes you would allow us to focus on you god i pray that you'd remove all distractions god i pray that you would help us um, just allow our minds and hearts to line up with your mind and with your heart God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read things that stand the test of time. That this is not just a new trend. This is not just modern psychology. But this is your word, the word of truth. And so, God, I pray that you would just allow us just for a moment to be a sponge. Allow us to just soak in what you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Based on this passage, what I want to do is I want to ask and answer three questions, okay? Number one, I want to ask, when should I argue? When should I argue? Number two, why should I argue? And number three, um, did I say why? I said how, I meant. Number two, how should I argue? And number three, why should I argue? So when, how, why? Now, when I use that word argue, it sounds, I don't know what comes to mind, but for some of us, uh, it may sound a little bit negative. That's not my intent, okay? When I'm using the word argue, I'm talking about like, okay, Pastor Alex, when, when should I engage in a conversation with somebody who's just being a pain? Like, when should I, like, when should, you know, when should I plead my case with, with an employee? Or when should I talk to my mom? Or when should I talk to my dad? When do I engage the kids? When, at what point do I basically share my views, my opinion? Well, the Bible definitely says that there's times for us to speak. There is a way to do it. And then there's also times where we don't need to say anything. There are times when God says, do not engage. So this verse, verse 23, different translation, but same verse. Paul says, have nothing, I love the wording, have nothing to do with foolish controversies. 
I, lo I, I, I looked up that word foolish. It's the word moros. Say, say that word with me. Say it. Moros. Moros. It's, um, it's where we get the word moron from. Have you ever dealt with a moron? Anybody? Anybody? Those of you who don't have your hands up, we're talking about you. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just, just playing, <laughs> you know. Um, pastor, call me a moron, you know. <laughs> um, we can have fun in church, right? Thank you, you know. Appreciate it. <laughs> what Paul is warning us against is engaging in moronic behavior, like arguments. Yeah, a, a, a different, tra uh, not translation, different verse uh, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train, watch this, train yourself for godliness. It takes discipline to train yourself to do anything, right? It takes grit. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen automatically. And so I really think that what Paul is saying is, have the discipline to reject foolish talks. Because sometimes it's a little bit tempting. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is, I want to be a part of this conversation. It's like fun, right? Right? Like gossip, sometimes being a part of gossip is like, don't look at me like that. You know? Sometimes engaging in those conversations can be, did you hear what she said? No, tell me. What did she say? You know, it can be a little bit fun. Well, what Paul is saying is, look, you got to have a little bit different, uh, a little bit of uh, discipline. You got to learn to reject some of those foolish conversations, kind of like the way we reject some types of food. Okay, like some of you, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but some of you, you don't like seafood, right? Like you don't, like you know, your wife is. Like, you're like, you know, shrimp, nope, thanks. Fish, nope, nope, thanks. You know, octopus, definitely not, not doing that. Um, and some, for some of you, your wife is like into sushi, right? Or your husband, whatever, you know. Uh, and they're like, they try to get you have every type. Any of you guys into sushi? You love sushi? Okay, do you, are you with someone that doesn't like sushi? And they're like, please, I don't do, you know, I don't do sushi, you know. And you kind of reject it. For some of you, it's snakes. You're like, don't do snakes, right? My wife um, was doing a little bit of yard work a couple of weeks ago. She sees a snake, and she rejected the snake. <laughs> you know, not having anything to do with it, with the snake. I come home, and I'm like, did you, you know, she's telling us, it's like, did you kill it? It's like, she's like, what part did you not get? Like, I don't do snakes, you know? And Natalie, our youngest child, she's like, um, <laughs> she's like, I'm not sure it was a snake. <laughs> Three inches at most. A little worm, you know, I don't know. And Leah's like, I don't do snakes. Three inches or 30 inches. Just don't do those. Amen, right? And so that's what Paul is saying. We got to reject some of those conversations. Now, there are times when... What you need to do, and I want to be very, very clear, because what Paul is not saying is, he's not saying that we should not engage with the truth of God's word, right? What he's saying is there's a difference between foolish talk based on lies, gossip, condemnation, I mean, you, what, whatever, um, and truth. And so Paul says, when it comes to the truth of God's word, you do want to engage, 
And let me give you a couple of um, examples, okay, of where we see Paul engaging with the truth of God's word. Acts 17, 17, the Bible says, so he, this is Paul, so he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and devout people. So, like, he's engaging, okay, with those people. He's engaging with the truth of God's word. He's reasoning with them. It says, and in the marketplace, he reasoned with people at work. He reasoned with them at at church every day with those who happen to be there and so what paul is saying is there are times he repeats his idea over and over there are times when you don't engage there are times when you do engage foolish conversations moronic conversations you're not going to be a part of it you're going to reject it you're going to have the discipline to say you know what this is not good for me it's not good and this is something that i struggle with there are times that, you know, sometimes I engage with people a little bit too long, and they kind of mess my, my mental health, and I try to be patient with them, and I try to love them, and I try to be Jesus to them, but there, there, is, a, there is a fine line for all of us. There's a line where we, if we step over this thing, it's just not good for us, and so there are times when you have to say, you know what, in I'm, I'm not going to be able to serve this individual. I'm not going to be able to, I'm, I got to put some distance between them and me because I just, it's not in me. I'm not strong enough. And so Paul says it. Sometimes, you know, you engage in foolish conversations is not helping you. Uh, let me give you an example. 2 Timothy 2.14, he says, remind everyone about these things so paul taking t- telling young young timothy he says remind everybody of these things command them in god's presence to stop fighting over words such arguments such foolish arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them now watch this don't miss this verse 15 work hard have the discipline right so that you can present yourself to God. So you're accountable to God. You're not accountable to people, you know. It says, and receive His approval. You don't need everybody's approval. You need God's approval. It says, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly explains the word of truth. Time and time again, he says, when don't engage in foolish talk, do engage with the truth of God's word. A couple of uh, more verses, verse 16 and 17. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like, help me out, church, spreads like what? Like cancer, it grows, it spreads, it's not good. For you, it's not good for them, it's not good for the church, it's not good for your life group, it's not good for your family, it's just not good. And I, I really believe with all of my heart, if Paul was here, if he was alive here, he would say, if your neighbors know more about your politics than they know about where you stand with Jesus, maybe you're engaging in a little bit too much politics. I really believe with all of my heart, if Paul was here, if he, was, if he, was, if he came and he was the one who was preaching, he would say, Take a look at your social media because sometimes we engage on social media and we say things that we would not necessarily say to a person who's in front of us. I, I really believe he was here. He would ask this question. Are people more drawn to Jesus because of your example or are they more confused? 
and polarized. And so not everything that comes your way needs to get to level 10. Sometimes we walk around as if we were just carrying a big megaphone. And whatever comes our way, pff, immediately, you know? Like, we got to let people know every opinion that we have, every belief, you know? And it's, it's when you do that, when you behave in that way, like, everything that comes your way, like, you have to have a say, and it's usually level 10. You lose your voice, and it confuses people. Because you're, it's just chatter, just talk, 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 it's just noise. At some point, if you, if there's no rhythm to your conversations, if you're always getting mad and, you know, you always take it to level 10, then all of a sudden nobody takes you seriously. But if you're somebody who's calm, who's steady, who's, you know, you measure your words, and then there's a time where you're going to raise your voice, all of a sudden people are like, oh man, such and such, like we, we don't see this side from this person, and so, so don't be that person that's always immediately level 10 on every subject, every belief. You lose your voice, it confuses people. So the second question we're asking is, then how should we argue? How do we do it? Because you saw the verse earlier, right? It says that Paul reasoned, right, with the people, with the people in the, the synagogue. He, he reasoned, you know, he argued, he de debated with the people in the marketplace. So how, how do we do it? Well, let's look at the verse again. So verse 24, Paul says, A servant of the Lord must be, help me out, church, must be what? Kind, kind to everyone, Right? It doesn't say, oh, you're going to be kind to those people who agree with you, to those people who look like you, to those people who vote like you, to those people who think like you. No, no, he says, be kind to everyone. Then it says, that's the challenging part of the verse, and be patient with difficult people. So how do we argue? Well, the Bible is very clear. He says, God says, be kind, be patient. Verse 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth and then i love this part because it it tells us perhaps perhaps god will change those people's hearts and and sometimes what that when we argue with people when we debate with people sometimes we think that we're the ones changing hearts but according to god's word it's not up to us you don't get to change anybody's heart you don't get to change your kids hearts I wish I could, right? You don't get to change your spouse's heart, your boss's heart, your, your employees. Only God can do that. Only God can change people's hearts. The, there's a, a study done by the Barna group, a research um, group, that, where they interview hundreds of people, and they ask this question, what is the number one thing that non-Christians um, would like from people who are trying to share their faith. What's the number one quality, non-Christians, um, that you look for in, in, in um, let, me, let me rephrase that. What is the number one quality that, as a non-Christian, you look for in someone who's trying to share their faith, okay? So you have somebody trying to share their faith, and they ask a bunch of people who are not believers, what's the one quality that you're looking for in that other person? The number one quality is someone who listens without judging. 62% said, I just want somebody to listen to my argument, to listen to my side without making me feel less than, 
without making me feel like without being judged, without making me feel like I've blown it. So there was another poll. Just ask people on the street. They they asked them, "What is a Christian? What what do uh, what do Christians stand for?" And here's what, like on on nearly every occasion, this is what came back. Here's what they said: anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-feminist, anti-welfare, anti-this, anti-that. Like in almost every case, they said Christians in general they're just harsh, they're self-righteous, they're intolerant, they're mean-spirited. And then they went and they did another study just to ask random people what they thought of Jesus. And almost universally, they said, they described Jesus as uh, someone who's compassionate, nonviolent, a peacemaker, somebody that is able to reconcile with other people. And so here's the point. If you don't get anything else out of this message, here's, here's, here's the point that I believe God is trying to communicate to you from Colossians, Colossians 4, verse 5. Here's what God is telling you today. Walk in wisdom. Say it, say it with me. Walk in wisdom. Like sometimes we think that it's either black or white. It's either sinful or it's not. Right? And it's either A or B. But I think the, the, the better question at times is to Okay, Lord, I'm having this conversation with this individual. What is the wisest thing for me to do? Not what's the, necessarily the, the, the holy thing, righteous thing to do, like perfect thing to do, or what's the sinful thing to do, but no, 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 no. Is there room somewhere for me to say, okay, Lord, how would you handle this situation? Because life is not always just so clear. And so God says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. So here's what I want to do. I want to suggest to you that you're never responding, you're never just responding to an argument. You're responding to another human being. You're never just, you're never just, when you're engaging with someone, you're not, not just wrestling with ideas. You're, you're, you're dealing with a, a person, a person that, that was created in God's image, a person who has a story, a person that, that essentially they represent an opportunity for you to share God's love with them. And so behind every argument, there is a person, and what you say to them, how you say what you say and how you say it matters. And so here's what I want to do with the last five minutes that we have. I want to give you some practical points, okay? Some practical advice, some proverbs, okay? On how to engage uh, when, you're, when you're having a crucial conversation, okay? I want to encourage you, write these down. It's going to help you. Um, a week from today, you're going to have a crucial conversation. You're going to be like, what was that thing that Pastor Alex was telling me about? All right, so that doesn't happen. Just either grab your phone and just just type, type it's three quick points or take a picture of it, whatever, whatever it takes. It's been proven that by Tuesday morning, okay, you will already forget 60, no, 86% of what we've shared this morning, all right? So if by Wednesday, you remember what I'm saying, you're like a genius, all right? So write it down. Number one, number one. Remember, we're talking about the lost art of persuasion. Number one, seek first to understand. Proverbs 18, 2. Seek first to Understand. The Bible says, Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, 
but only in expressing his opinion. In other words, a fool doesn't really care to know anybody else's perspective. All they care about is themselves. All they care about is their view. They just talk, 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 okay? And so, number one, seek first to understand. You're engaging an individual. You don't really like them, but you have to engage. It's business, you know, like what, what do you do? How, how are you going to, you know, persuade them? How are you going to talk to them? Here's the first thing that I encourage you to do. Listen. Just listen. But pastor, what if they're just saying nonsense? What if they're just speaking and it just doesn't make sense and what they're saying is not truthful? Just listen. Listen. Picture, I used to, I used to love Legos. Picture a wall of Lego blocks. When you're listening, what's happening is each one of those blocks is coming down. Just coming down. Your, pa- your words will be a lot more powerful if you've taken the time to just listen. So number one, seek first to understand. Ask questions. Tell me more. Let them speak. Okay, uh, I, want, I want to, uh, where are you coming from? Why are you saying this? Number two, number two, check your, check your emotions. Check your emotions. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, to, to his anger, right? But a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If your emotions, and we're all emotional beings, if your emotions are getting the best of you, just step back for a moment. Just take, just remain silent for a second. Just say, let me think about this conversation. Can I get back to you? You know, we live in such a, like, everything is immediate. Like, I got to react right now, you know? It's either a like or a dislike, but it's immediate. Like, I can't wait, and I can't, can't just say, okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to compose myself, because what you just said hurt me, okay? What you just did kind of messed me up a little bit, and I'm not the best frame of mind to give you an answer right now give me just some margin so that i can communicate better so number one seek first to understand number two check your emotions we're all emotional individuals number three measure your words measure measure your words two proverbs 15 1 and 10 19 15.1 says, a soft answer, a gentle answer. I love this. It says, be kind to everybody. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up trouble, stirs up anger. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, watch this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So three practical ways for you to engage crucial conversations. Number one, seek first to understand. Number two, check your emotions. Three, measure your words. As we wrap up, I want to read a story from a book called The Secret Thoughts of likely convert okay it's written by a woman named rosaria butterfield 
Mrs. Butterfield was the head of the English department at Syracuse University. She was a militant lesbian. She was a strong progressive activist. She wrote a, an op-ed piece in the, in the paper, Criticizing Promise Keepers, which is an evangelical ministry. And here's what she says. Listen to her story. She said, after I published in the local newspaper a critique of the promise keepers for their gender politics, I received a batch of mail, hate mail and fan mail. I received so many letters for this little editorial that I kept an empty box on both sides of my desk. One for hate mail, the other fan mail. In this batch of mail, I also received a letter from Pastor Ken Smith, then pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. It encouraged me to explore the kind of questions that I admire, she says. How did you arrive at your interpretation? How do you know that you're right? Do you believe in God? He didn't argue with my article. He just asked, to ex asked me to explore and defend my presuppositions or the presuppositions that supported the article. I, I really didn't know how to respond to the pastor, Pastor Kent's letter. But I found myself reading it and rereading it. And I didn't know in which box to, put the to file the letter in. So it sat on my desk and it haunted me, she says. By the way, I hate a messy desk, one where papers clutter the surface. Pastor Ken's letter sat on my desk for a whole week. This is six days longer than I can normally stand. It really bothered me that I didn't know where to file the letter. I threw it away a couple of times and then found myself at the end of the day digging through the department's recycling bin to reclaim it at the day's end. Last paragraph. The letter invited me to call the author, the pastor, to discuss the ideas fully. It was the kindest letter of opposition that I had ever received. A week later, I called. Here's I tell I read that story. What would it be like? Am I on? There we go. What would, it, what would it be like if we learned to respond to people the way that Pastor Ken responded? What would it be like if we were able to engage those that we disagree with? What would it look like if we lovingly engaged them? If we were kind and clear and patient in, in such a way that it would cause our opponents to sit and go... I don't know what to do with your, the way you're treating me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this response because I know that you clearly disagree with me. So I'm not really sure where to categorize you. I don't know which, on which box do I put you in. What would it look like if we as Christians, rather than being mean-spirited, rather than being just, you know, having a short fuse, rather than, 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 than just judging people and, and coming to conclusions and talking more than we should, what would it look like if we would just listen and ask 
non-threatening questions and practice kindness and patience. It was that letter that led to a conversation, that led to a dinner, that led to a friendship, that led to eventually Rosaria's life being radically changed by God's grace. And the point that I'm trying to make today is that thankfully she met a real Christian who saw her as a human being who was different than him, had a different set of beliefs, but still created in God's image. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so my question to you is, how about you? How do you engage people? With heads bowed and eyes closed. This is what we call the, the lost art of persuasion, right? So let me ask you, how about you? How do you engage people? Do a little self-reflection. Do, do you seek to, to understand? Or do you like jump to conclusions? Do you check your emotions? Do you, do you measure your words? Father God, you know exactly where we're all at. You know exactly how we argue. And all of us are going to do it. There are times when you tell us, reject this. It's foolish. It's moronic. This is not healthy. It's, it's gossip. It's, it's destroying one another. It's just not healthy. And so God, give us the courage to know when and, and the discernment to know when to do that. But also, God, help us to know how to engage. Help us with our timing. Help us with our words. And so, God, when, when we're, if, for those of us who right now maybe have a conversation that it's on standby, God, give us the words. Give us the wisdom. Show us the way to be kind, to state our case, to, to be like that pastor who loved that lady but never compromise his beliefs and so Lord we come before you and we thank you for what we've learned today help us to apply it we pray in Jesus name amen let's all stand